We come together for one reason. We believe in Jesus Christ, and we believe what he can do to change a person's life. We believe he changes our lives because he is good and he is gracious. God doesn't ask us what we've done and what's wrong with us before stepping in and in grace and mercy, cleaning us up, forgiving us, working in our lives. He's not, he's not all about finding fault. He's about redeeming and restoring, and that's why we have hope. That's why we why we come together every Sunday. So we're so glad that you're here, and we hope you've already gotten a sense that God really is here and that God really can change your life. And you know, that's what I want to focus on this morning, at least one aspect of that, that God really does change our lives. See, the gospel is more than God is gracious and kind and forgiving, and he accepts us even though we have many flaws. I mean, all that's true. Thank goodness it's true, or we'd all be in a lot of trouble. But that's not the whole gospel. Another aspect of the gospel is that God delivers us from our bondages, our shortcomings, our flaws, and he he helps us to grow as people. We'll never be perfect in this life, But by the grace of God, day by day, we're being transformed. We're becoming more like Christ. And that too is why we come together, to celebrate what Christ has done, but also to seek his grace that we might be changed. And the reason I want to emphasize that is because far too many, far too many think of Christianity as essentially God forgiving us and making us feel better while we stumble along and live a life of, well, of spiritual failure and maybe moral failure as well. Some of us live in that state and we're continually saying, God, please forgive me, please forgive me, please, please wash away my sins. And so our whole life is pretty much saying, God, I'm a mess, please bless this mess. Now, again, there's a lot of truth to that. There's a lot of truth to that. But the fact is, God works in our lives to change us. And the Bible everywhere makes that clear. So, for example, Israel receives God's gracious intervention. He calls Abraham, and he calls the people together and brings them out of Egypt when they're in bondage there under the leadership of Moses. So God takes Israel and makes them his own people. He even promises to give them an inheritance, the land of Canaan. But there is a requirement. There's still something for them to do. Let me read this verse from you, Deuteronomy 6.18. He says, do what is right and good in the Lord's sight so that it may go well with you and you may go in and take over the good land the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors. In other words, God has intervened in grace. He is merciful and kind, but now he's saying, for you to enter into all that I have for you, you need to obey me and you need to do my will. There's another 
passage in Ephesians now, in the New Testament. Paul is talking to the church there in Ephesus, and he wants them to know that God's grace covers over all their sins. So he says that. But then he adds this in Ephesians 2.10. We are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. In other words, it's not enough to be a blessed mess. We should be a blessed mess in transition as God is helping us to become more like Christ. God's grace teaches us, Paul says elsewhere, to say no to ungodliness so we can live the life that he's called us to live. And then famously, James chapter 1, verse 22, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. So you notice the expectation here. God expects that as he works in our lives, our lives will change. And if you're to sum up what he says right here, he's saying he expects his people to do the right thing. The gospel is not all about forgiveness and feeling good. I know that I'm forgiven, so I feel good because I know God loves me and, and, and he'll always be there for me. Well, yes, it's that, but it's also God pours into us a new spirit and he changes our hearts so that we will do the right thing. Thing. He wants a people eager to do the right thing. It's not just a matter of feeling saved, it's a matter of living saved as well. Now, that's not always easy. In fact, it's never easy. And if you do the right thing, you won't always be applauded. There'll be some people angry with you even when you do the right thing. In fact, they might be angry because you do the right thing. But that's what God calls us to do, to do the right thing. And here's the point I want to get to, that it's only as we do the right thing that we can experience so much of what God promises us in Scripture. See, just like Israel, they can't take the promised land if they won't obey the Lord's word. It's not going to happen. They have to do the right thing. Thing if they're going to succeed and lay hold of what God has for them. It's the same way with us. Unless we live as God commands, we won't have, number one, peace of mind. We won't have peace of mind. Psalm 51, David, David laments his sin. And he said, I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. It's like you can't forget it. It's right there. It's like when a song goes through your head and you can't get it out of your head. David thinks about his sin and he can't stop thinking about it. He has no peace because of that sin. Now, here's the point. The point is you can be forgiven and experience some relief in that forgiveness as David does in Psalm 51. He seeks God's forgiveness so that, so that he can have this, this sense of, of being accepted again, of being clean again. 
But he also prays, Lord, give me a willing spirit because he knows, he knows that no matter how forgiven you may be, if you're still doing the wrong thing, you won't have the peace of God, not in your heart. You won't. It's like, it's like sin is a computer virus in your system. Nothing is going to work right as long as that virus is there. You can, you can come to God and say, God, please forgive me. I am so sorry. And be very sincere about it. And God forgives you. But as long as that, that virus is there, as long as there's something not addressed that continues to repeat and, and is not in God's will, you're going to be unsettled by it. It's like someone with addiction. See, a lot of times someone who's dealing with an addiction, whatever the addiction may be, they're asking God for forgiveness and they're looking to God to give them peace because they have this idea that it's because I don't have peace that I turn to this behavior or I turn to this drug or I turn to alcohol or whatever it is. Again, there's some truth to that, right? We all know there's some truth to that. But this is a cycle. So just like my lack of peace causes me to turn to that behavior or that substance, so that behavior or substance leads to a lack of peace. And you're not going to have peace in your heart while you're acting out. You can ask God for his forgiveness. Great. You should. And God is patient and merciful. But until the addiction is dealt with, until you cease to act out, you won't know peace. So we must do the right thing. They might think, say, well, I can't. I can't beat this addiction. Yes, you can. People do it all the time. You can. Now, you can't, you can't the way you're going right now. You have to turn to God. Likely, you have to turn to other people to help support you. As with God's help, you start taking the steps you need to take to overcome that addiction. You can't overcome it on your terms, but people overcome addiction all the time, and you can too, and you can't have peace with God or the peace of God, peace of mind, peace of heart. You can't have it until you deal with that. So the gospel is not, okay, you've got all these addictions and all these problems, and, and if you just come to Jesus and he forgives you, he'll make you feel good anyway, and then the problems go away. That's not it. That's not it. We have to learn to do the right thing. I remember a man telling me one time, he said, oh, listen, I just feel like God's 100 miles away. You know, I go to church, but I don't get anything out of it. I try to pray. It doesn't help. I read the Bible, and, well, I don't even understand what I'm reading. My marriage is terrible. I can't even talk to my wife. I mean, he's going on and on. He's pretty miserable. He has no peace. He starts getting on his wife and, and talking about how he can't relate to her. And of course, you know, he'll, he'll he verbally acknowledge that he had some blame, but then he spent all the time blaming her. That's kind of how it works. We know that. So he's talking about his wife, talking about his marriage, talking about how bad it is. And then he says, it's not at all like when I talk with so-and-so. And I said, wait a minute, who's so-and-so? 
Well, this was a woman that he worked with at the office, and they'd have lunch together from time to time, and, and they could talk. They could talk and tell things to each other they've never told to anybody else, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Hadn't gone beyond this at that point, but listen, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what prayer he prays. As long as that continues, he's not going to know the peace of God. He's just not. So we need to do the right thing. Why? Because grace doesn't, doesn't cover disobedience. You, you follow what I'm saying? I'm not saying that, that, that God doesn't forgive disobedience. What I'm saying is God's grace and his working in our life doesn't somehow smooth out everything when we're doing the wrong thing. And then secondly, it's important to do the right thing because that is the only way, the absolute only way you can have lasting success and well-being. There's a great psalm that says essentially this. You've probably heard it before. I want to read it to you. It's a short psalm, Psalm 1. Listen to this. Blessed is the one. Some translations are happy is the one. Same idea. Happy is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, nor stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. So doing the right thing, which means following the commands of God, it's like sinking the roots down by a stream of water. That's really significant in Texas. I mean, the seasons come, the seasons go, and droughts hit, right? So here's the person doing the right thing, and they are drawing life. It's God's life. It's not that they're earning it. It's that God has laid his hand on them, has brought them into the kingdom, and now they're cooperating with God. They're connected with God. They're not, they're not frustrating God, grieving the Holy Spirit, holding him at arm's length, but they're doing the right thing. And so everything they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Here he's talking about this day of judgment, that people who do the wrong thing sooner or later will face the consequences. Now, you, you can think about the judgment to come, where we all stand before God. That's where we're sure consequences are going to be meted out. But there are judgments leading up to that. We see it in the news all the time. Somebody seems like they've got it all together and then judgment falls. And that happens throughout life. But I can't help when I read this passage to think about that final moment when we pass from this life to life to come and we have a funeral and people gather because their loved one's been lost. Now, now, I've seen and participated in lots of funerals. 
And I have seen people who were torn up and, and felt very ambivalent feelings about their loved one who's gone on. The relationship was not good, and there, was a, there were a lot of problems there. And I've seen even when they feel like that, they are trying to hold on to some precious memory because they still love this one that they've lost. I've also seen people where it's almost, it's almost a tearful celebration. It's grieving, and yet they're so thankful for this person. They've lost them and they grieve, but they're so thankful. And they recount their character, the person they were, how they loved, how they served. They celebrate that. Here's what I've never heard. I've never heard anybody get up and go on and on about someone's resume virtues, talking about how successful they were in running their company, talking about how much money they made. Every once in a while, you'll hear something about professional success, but it's like, it's like just the thing off to the side. It's really about character, not resume virtues, not the things that we spend much of our time worrying about, how to be effective, how to be successful. They don't talk about that because lasting success and well-being comes from character, from doing the right thing. There's going to be a final judgment where that all becomes clear, but there are judgments through history. And if it helps, think about the judgment that is, that is pronounced at a funeral when family and friends come together and speak of the one that they've lost and the kind of life they've lived. So if we're, going to, if we're going to experience um, the, the blessing of God as we wish and lasting success and well-being, we need to do the right thing. And then finally, there's the experience of God's presence. Now, listen, there are times, there are times when God seems 100 miles away. I mean, that's, that's true for all of us, where you feel dry spiritually, and, and it's like, I pray, and it doesn't seem to mean anything. But that isn't the whole of it. If it is, you will never make it, because Christianity involves connecting with God, and knowing something of God's presence. I mentioned Texas and drought just a minute ago. Think about this. We can have days with no rain, but if we've had plenty of rain in the previous weeks, we're just fine. But the problem comes when you don't have rain day after day and week after week and negligible rain for months, then you're in a drought condition and then you're pretty desperate. Well, if you want to know the presence of God in your life, if you want, to, you want to have that relationship where God is alive to you, not just an idea that you honor, but God's alive to you, you must do the right thing. Now, you can be a Christian and kind of waffle in your commitment 
And God is going to still work in your life to try to bring you where you need to go. But if you want to be fruitful and experience his presence, you've got to do what he commands you to do. So once again, Psalm 15, listen to this. Lord, who may dwell in your sacred tent? Who may live on your holy mountain? He means Mount Zion. Basically saying, who can come into your presence and stay there? Who can be close to you? Who can have that intimate relationship? Well, here it is. The one whose walk is blameless, who does what is righteous, who speaks the truth from their heart, whose tongue utters no slander, who does, not, who does no wrong to a neighbor and casts no slur on others who despises a vile person but honors those who fear the Lord, who keeps an oath even when it hurts and does not change their mind, who lends money to the poor without interest, who does not accept a bribe against the innocent. Whoever does these things will never be shaken. In fact, whoever does these things can live in the presence of God and know the presence of God. We do the right thing. We do the right thing because, because we want the peace of God. We want to experience that and because we want lasting success and well-being and because we want to walk in fellowship with God. You know, one of my daughters, I've told you this before, but we joke now that she pretty much spent her entire 10th grade year grounded. And for much of that year, she was exiled to her bedroom without a telephone and no TV and all the rest, exiled to her bedroom. And so she was still my daughter. I could not have loved her more, but things were happening to where that seemed necessary. <laughs> and in the same way, as a Christian, you can do the wrong thing. And it's not that God doesn't love us, but my goodness, we're grounding ourselves. We're putting ourselves in the time out. We're losing touch with him. That's not what we want. So we are called to do the right thing. I don't know what the right thing might be for you right now, at least the thing that comes to mind. There might be some area where you know, there's a, there's a habitual sin that you really need to come to grips with, or it might, be, it might be a decision that you have to make, and oh, it'd be so easy to do the wrong thing and so hard to do the right. Whatever the case may be, do the right thing. Grace is not meant to cover over us doing the wrong thing. It's meant to empower us to do the right thing. Is it easy? Well, like I said, it's not easy. And none of us does it as well as we would like, let's face it. So I want to end on this scripture because I think it's the kind of encouragement we need. And it's the encouragement I want to give you. If you feel like you are 100 miles from God, and you might be a long way. You've been doing your own thing, your own way for a long, long time. And if anyone says anything to you, you're not going to listen to them because you know, but in your heart, you know it's wrong. Listen to what it says. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart 
and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let's come to the throne of grace. Yes, we need forgiveness. Let's ask him for forgiveness. And let's come for the throne of grace knowing that he's been tempted just as we've been tempted and yet overcame, and he can help us overcome. If you don't know Christ or you've wandered so far this morning, come to the throne of grace. Allow Jesus Christ to enter in, to put things right, to set you on a better path. With his help, do the right thing. Amen. Pray with me. Lord, you did the gracious thing when you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to bear our sins on Calvary. We thank you. We thank you. With all our hearts, we thank you for doing that. And our prayer is that you would not only grant us your forgiveness, which you so freely do, but Lord, that you would help us to change, to make the commitments we need to make. Help us, Lord, to do the right thing as you empower us by your Spirit. Help us, Lord, to take the courageous steps we need to take if we need help to do the right thing. And Lord, would you draw each one who, Lord, some of us may feel so far from you, we think we're too far to come back. Lord, that is not the case. And please make that, make that clear to everyone here. May there be restoration this morning. That's our prayer. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.